Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Well, hello and welcome to episode 55 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian here as always with Michaela. Michaela, what have you been watching? Anything good? Golden Globe nods are out, so you better get busy with your uh, movie watching, I will say. I Look, I made a decision based on my need for self-care. I okay. wanted to okay. watch some... You know, it's it's Christmas time. It's a it's fall. It's or it's winter. It's getting very cold here. It's getting mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the last couple of days have been really nasty with weather. So while I totally have it in my heart and in my head that I'm going to watch all these nominated films that are esoteric and beautiful, mm-hmm. I needed to chillax with some mindless, yes. you know, Hallmark as Christmas movies. So that's what mm. I have done in the last week. Okay. Would you like me to tell you about them? <laughs> everyone's definition of self-care is different. So yes, why don't you tell me and the audience of Drink the Movies, uh, hold tight, everyone. Michaela is going to regale us with a tale of Christmas wondery. So uh, Netflix has really stepped up their Christmas game. So if anybody has been paying attention to Netflix the last couple of years, they have put in a lot of effort into doing kid-friendly Christmas shows, some musical Christmas shows. They've done Jingle Jangle. They did Christmas... Christmas Chronicles 1 and 2, which were done by Chris Columbus of Home Alone fame. They're really good. Mm -hmm. What they've Mm -hmm. started to really step up is their kind of uh, boy meets girl. Those were too highbrow of Christmas (laughs) films. Yeah. Yeah. They, they really wanted, I, I guess they're trying to play off of the Hallmark romance Christmas shows and starting mm-hmm. to do that. Now, I think, uh, in a better way than Hallmark does, they're being a lot more inclusive. So I'm seeing a lot more diversity. I'm seeing a lot okay. more LGBTQ plus plot lines. Um, the ones that I've watched in the last like couple of days are pretty formulaic still, but I think that they're doing a, a much better job than Hallmark has. Hallmark's trying to get there. They're on a journey. Everyone's on a journey, but um, mm-hmm. I'm seeing I'm seeing more of that um, in the Netflix ones that are that are coming around. So I've seen a couple. If I was going to recommend one, I really truly think that I would recommend one called A Castle for Christmas. It's actually got real actors in it that we know and that we love. Not that the others aren't real actors. They're just more polished. So this okay. one is Brooke Shields and Carrie Elwes, who we all know and love from Princess Bride and of course Saw, because you can't forget his performance there. Um, I thought you were going to say Glory. Really, best film. Oh, I guess he's in Glory too. Sorry. I always think of Denzel in Glory rather yeah, than and, and Morgan Freeman. Great film. And Go Morgan Freeman. It's amazing. Go watch it. But yes, um, Carrie always is in it. He's actually English, but he plays a Scottish gentleman in uh, who owns a castle. And Brooke Shields is a, a divorcee who's going back to her roots and they meet. And of course, it's very formulaic. They fall in love. It's great. Um, but I really liked it. I thought that there were um, it was well written and it's mindless enough that you know you're going to really enjoy it all's well that ends well it's fine for kids like it's romantic but it's not super adult i thought it was great if you're into if you if that's where you are right now in your christmas journey you need something that's just going to make you laugh a little bit go watch it go watch those and if you watch those and you have a good time with them uh maybe you want to go back and 
in time and watch something, you know, a Christmas classic, Michaela. And that is what we are doing this week. We're talking about one of the all-time greats. So I don't, I don't know, you know, in the Pantheon where uh, Christmas Castle is going to stack up against uh, today's film. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see and let time be the ultimate judge there. But if we were going to go back, sing and dance, uh, you know, do some uh, caroling, uh, wish for some snow, we better go grab a cocktail because uh, we're going to need it, I think, if we're going to yes. Vermont. Absolutely. Vermont. Think of Vermont with all that snow. That's right. Snow. Uh, snow. Wonderful snow. Yeah, snow. So why don't we take a quick break and we will grab our ingredients and be back to chat about this week's cocktail. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Yeah, that's right. And that is what this week's uh, cocktail is called. And that's what myself and our uh, you know, listeners out there definitely need after that shenanigans. Not really. That was beautiful. Um, and this drink is beautiful. And it comes from thedrinkblog.com. And uh, yeah, I mean, we were looking through cocktails and we saw the picture of this one and said, yes, that is the one. We sure did. It is really beautiful. It is. And it's aptly titled The White Christmas. Uh, it takes its name and its promise of snowy goodness from this week's film, which is also called White Christmas. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, this th- this cocktail is best suited for a coupe glass, but you can serve it in a martini glass as well. Anything mm-hmm. that's fluted that has kind of a uh, a really really nice cup feel, because you're going to want lots of space on the top, a lot of surface area mm-hmm. um, to be able to put this kind of snowy garnish on top of it so it really does look like white driven snow it's a really beautiful drink um if you that wanted to be right, extra yeah. fancy you could probably put like a cup like maybe a holly bush on the side like a sprig of holly and maybe a mm. cranberry in it but it's not a fruity drink this is all white chocolate and like creme de cacao and the thing that makes this drink even more beautiful is the homemade white creme de cacao that Brian lovingly made it, made Mm -hmm. it. Wow. (laughs) That Brian lovingly made two weeks ago. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. It it took me about a week to made it to this one. Um, So yeah, you want to make some homemade uh, creme de cacao. Uh, You don't have to do that. You can totally just go to the store and buy it. That's, that's simpler. But um, in the recipe on the drinkblog.com, they had a thing on there about making your own. So I said that would be fun to try. So it's pretty simple, actually. So you take a, uh, just a bottle of vodka, like 750 milliliters of vodka, and you add that to eight ounces of um, like creme de cacao, like food grade, just white, uh, white creme or white cacao nibs. Uh, sorry. And you just put that on there and let it soak for like a week. That's what I did seven days. Uh, and then you strain out the cacao nibs and you add uh, kind of as much or as little uh, simple syrup as you want to. It's going to, you know, adjust the sweetness level of it up there. So I ended up going with about three quarters of a cup, which is what they did in the article we were reading. Uh, and that was pretty perfect. I thought it was, it was really good. I'd never done it before, but it smelled amazing. It tasted amazing. Uh, it was pretty good. It was real good. And it, it's very chocolatey, but it's not overwhelmingly sweet. I thought, it was awesome. And I had no idea how simple it is. I mean, it takes a week, but you're not doing anything for that week. You're just waiting mm-hmm. for that emulsification to occur. So yeah, yeah, literally, I just set it in the fridge for a week. And, you know, every day when I would like get into I was like making lunch, I would just give it a little shake. But 
Yeah, awesome. That was it. Yeah. Super easy. So first things first, make your own white creme de cacao. Yeah. And uh, in- first ingredient is two ounces of that. You're going to add an ounce of almond liqueur. We used Deserono because it's mm-hmm. delicious. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to use an ounce of any vodka you want. We went extra fancy and used some gray goose because that's how we roll. You're going to add an ounce of cream and a dash, just a dash of chocolate bitters. You're going to put that in a shaker, add some ice to it, shake that up, pour it into a coupe glass. And then you want to garnish it with some white chocolate shavings or like a white chocolate grates, right? So Mm -hmm. if you have a really, um, like if you have a cinnamon grater or a microblader, okay, Mm -hmm. in your kitchen, that's what you can use and it will come out beautifully. It will really look like you've put a little bit of snow, a snow cap on this drink. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, that's right. Just uh, load it up with that chocolate and then you are good to go. It's beautiful. Um, It's very, it's very luscious with the cream. Um, I will say it was, it was a tad bit boozier than I imagined when you see the picture, it just looks like a, like a white chocolate drink, but uh, you know, that vodka really comes through. Um, It's really like clean tasting, but you get this uh, nice, you know, kind of chocolate note from that creme de cacao and the chocolate bitters. Um, And I don't know, uh, we don't have any regular creme de cacao, so we couldn't make it with just a, just a, like a regular brand of that. So I don't know if that made a huge difference, but yeah, this was, this was really good. Um, and yeah, it looked really fancy. If you were doing a fancy, like cocktail, like holiday party, this would be a perfect one to serve there for that. Absolutely. It is a bit busy. So if you noticed, we only had one ingredient that was not alcohol. <laughs> so, uh, two is probably the limit. Make this like a martini, right? Yep. You know, one to two, uh, three, and you might start telling everybody your secrets about how, you know, you <laughs> can't wait to get married and you have to fake your engagement in order for someone to marry your sister. I don't That's know. Right. Yeah. Maybe you might make bad choices. So if you're going to drink this, make good choices, make good Christmas choices, ladies and gentlemen make a good Christmas choices and definitely try this. So yeah, so it's worth getting these uh, ingredients together. Um, you know, the DiSerono you might already have, you know, vodka, but yeah, if you have this other stuff, give this a try because it's delicious and it is perfect for this film, you know, which is a very classic Hollywood. So you want something a little classy to have alongside of it. So Michaela, why don't you finish grading, you know, eight or nine more ounces of chocolate on top of our drinks, and then we can take a break and we will talk about this week's film which is White Christmas. Spoiler warning for White Christmas. If you've not yet seen this 1954 classic directed by Michael Curtis, who also did Casablanca, you should press pause right now. Go watch this film and come back and we can chat about it. And we'll probably sing about it, but only if we're also drinking the White Christmas because it's delicious. Yeah, we need two or three more white Christmases and me before I start drinking. Uh, Michaela totally stole my thunder there. 1954, this came out, directed by Michael Curtis. Uh, that is all true. Uh, directed Casablanca, and actually this film looks a lot like Casablanca, the way they uh, do the camera shots. Uh, so that's pretty neat. If you uh, have watched both of these, you might pick up on that. And this one stars. We have four main stars here. So we have uh, two singers, Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney. And we have two dancers, Danny Kaye and Vera Ellen. Ah, the amazing Vera Ellen. Danny Kaye, you know, I totally thought that he was the same actor 
that wasn't singing in the rain. And apparently they had wanted Fred Astaire originally for this role, but no. because it took about 12 years for the, us to make white Christmas. Okay. Uh, Fred Astaire had retired. And so they actually asked the gentleman who play, who was in singing in the rain, but because he was busy doing something else, they settled on Danny Kay, which is amazing because I can't imagine anybody else doing it now that I've seen it, you know? Yeah, definitely. Because uh, Danny Kay is definitely the highlight of this one for me. Uh, him and Vera Ellen, really, they're both uh, spectacular and kind of steal the show, in my opinion. Um, but as far as the Academy's opinion, uh, they thought that this was good enough for one Academy Award nomination. It was nominated for the best original song, which is Count Your Blessings Instead of Sheep. Uh, funny enough, it was not nominated for White Christmas because that wasn't an original song. Because Irving Berlin wrote it for a 1942 film called Holiday Inn. Uh, so yeah, he just Irving Berlin. He's all over the place and he's going to feature prominently when the movie gets started, splashing his name across the screen. That's right. Yeah. So a uh, funny, f- funny fact, uh, Holiday Inn was the very first film to have white Christmas in it because Holiday Inn talks about all the different holidays. And when they get around to Christmas, they have Bing Crosby singing white Christmas which is interesting. And that's exactly how this film begins is Bing Crosby is singing white Christmas. It's Christmas Eve in 1944. For anybody who doesn't know what was going on in 1944, we were at uh, the end of world war two and we were somewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where, where this is taking place somewhere in Germany, mm-hmm. but uh, there's like a, a group of soldiers. They're all meeting there. Uh, they're having kind of, there's this old, uh, a tiny Christmas tree. And there's like a mm-hmm. one person with like a, uh, like a tiny kind of jukebox looking thing. And they're singing white Christmas and they're um, trying to say goodbye to their general because their general is moving up or moving uh, their chain, the general's changing hands. So the outfit was belonging to a gentleman, a gentleman by the name of Jim Earl Waverly. And the new general's coming in and the new general seems really uptight and it's Christmas Eve, but he still wants Mm -hmm. everyone to line up for inspection and that's no fun. Uh, But Wallace and Davis, so Bob Wallace is Bing Crosby's character and and Phil Davis is played by Danny Kaye. They kind of put together this Christmas party and they're singing uh, Christmas songs and they're doing a little bit of dancing and... uh, And then all of a sudden, there's like a bomb raid. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the Christmas pageant gets interrupted, you know, by war, because that's what happens during war. Uh, You know, some buildings are falling down, uh, things like that. Uh, The set looks amazing in this. It's very much just uh, like on a soundstage. You can totally see it, but it's like these like blown out uh, like buildings and walls and things. And yeah, Bob Wallace and Phil Davis are there Uh, now. uh, Phil Davis ends up saving Bob Wallace's life. So uh, kind of after this happens. Uh, Phil's going to kind of, you know, rope Bob into, you know, Bob's played by Bing Crosby. He's like, nah, I'm a solo artist, but now nah, Phil wants to uh, get together and put the show on the road. So after the war, that's exactly what they do. They start performing together and they are taking the world by storm as this uh, two man song and dance routine. Yeah, it's really actually quite uh, beautiful the way they show time passing because they all do these little like vignettes of songs. And so Mm -hmm. there may be like five or six seconds each, but then they're dancing and singing and it's showing them in different places all over the United States going together. And so they become like kind of this famous duo, Wallace and Davis. Right. And 
unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not sure Phil is working really hard trying to find a girl for Bob. You don't really understand why um, there's that's, one that's right. Yeah. Instance, there's one specific instance where there's a girl uh, that's going to hang out with Phil and she's brought along her friend and her friend is like mutual, I'm sure. And she's got this super nasally voice and Phil's like, oh yeah, Bob will totally go for that. Bob takes one look at her and is like, what are you doing, dude? What is going on? <laughs> what is happening? Why are you sending me like every single girl on the face of the planet? You're like, Bob, meet Bob, meet Bob. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, because uh, apparently Bob is all business all the time and he is working real hard and Phil just wants to take a break. He's like, Bob, calm down, meet a girl, get married, have like nine kids. That'll give me 45 minutes of free time every day while you're taking care of the kids. And I can, you know, I can relax. I can I can watch a, uh, a holiday movie on Netflix like Michaela does, you know, for for self-care. You can have a little bit of a break. Um, so they're actually so they're they're talking about this as like backstage, probably the coolest like individual scene of the movie because they're like they're like changing and they're throwing like shoes and like shoehorns like back and forth to each other they're like throwing like the suit jacket to one another it's very like choreographed and uh it's really cool looking but they're talking about talking about these girls and they get a letter from one of their old army pals and it says hey my sisters are performing nearby go see them let them know what you think you know you can give them some help uh just go see the Haynes sisters that's what you want to do you want to help out your army bud go check them out Right. And like a good soldier, right? They're like, why are we doing this? We're doing this for an old pal in the army, right? So they That's show right. up uh, to this like place. I think it, I think they're down in Florida and there's mm -hmm. like palm trees everywhere. And it's right, but it's like the weekend or two before Christmas. It's like the 12th or something of December. And they uh, are waiting to see the Haynes sisters, the Mater D of this little supper club that's also a dinner theater kind of establishment knocks on the back of the knocks on the door for the Haynes sisters and lets them know that Wallace and Davis are there to see them. And of course, the Haynes sisters are uh, Betty Haynes, played by the beautifully and wonderfully talented Rosemary Clooney. And then her sister, Judy, is played by Vera Ellen. Uh, they, you know, Betty starts to freak out a little bit. She's like, oh my gosh, Wallace and Davis are here. What are we going to do? And they're trying to get ready and they're having coffee and they're like ironing their clothes. And um, Betty is, is a little confused. Cause he's like, how, she says, how, how would they know? And, and I, we didn't tell our brother that we were coming to this particular place. And how did Wallace and Davis, you know, how did this all happen? And it comes out that Judy has written this note to Wallace and Davis, pretending to be her brother, knowing that they would feel an obligation to come, which makes Betty really uncomfortable. She gets real that, pissed. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That is a recurring theme um, is that she is pissed, uh, but that's okay. So they come out, they do their number. They're in these awesome like blue dresses and then they go off. They meet, you know, they start talking to Phil and Bob. Um, now, Bob and Betty are sitting there and, you know, Betty's like apologizing. She's like, my sister wrote that letter. It wasn't really your friend. And he's like, that's fine. You know, everyone has an angle in this business. Not a big deal. Uh, but that is important for later for Betty. So uh, while they're off doing that, uh, Phil and Judy go and they do this amazing dance. It's like on the set. There's like a big like lake on set behind them at this like supper club thing. Uh, I don't 
believe that that's probably true in this supper club, but it looks like uh, awesome. There's like a bridge over top of it. They're dancing on. Uh, it's super, super cool. Uh, but bad news yeah. while they're doing that dance number, because like the police show up because apparently the uh, girls have stiffed their bill or something like that. And uh, they need to be on the run, get out of town. That's right. And Phil is seeing that Bob and Betty uh, he thinks they're getting along really well. They're not really getting along very well. I don't think they're kind of talking uh, about angles and how Betty's like, no, my sister doesn't play angles. And he's like, it's fine. And, but they continue, they're kind of drinking and, and hanging out while Phil and Judy are like having the dance of their lives. So Phil really wants to help them out. And he amazingly has these two first-class tickets on a train uh, up to Vermont. And so he's like, why don't I give you these tickets and you guys can go up to Vermont. And they were planning on going to New York anyway. So it kind of all works out, but what the girls end up taking the, these first class tickets, they end up getting out of town, Bob and Phil decide that they're going to try and stall the police. Yeah. They need to buy some time. Yeah. So they end up doing the same number that the Haynes sisters did. Now the Haynes sisters, we should talk about this a little bit. The Haynes sisters, when they come out and do this number, (laughs) they look amazing. They're in these blue, like sequined uh, lace dresses that are like super elegant. And they're singing this song about sisters and how they, they wear each other's clothes and they're just really each other's best friends. Mm -hmm. So Bob and Phil decide to go ahead and redo that entire thing, but they can't fit into the dresses. So they've got like their, their muffs and they've got like a couple of hair pieces going on and they keep laughing throughout the whole number. Um, But it ends up stalling the police long enough for the Haynes sisters to make a getaway, but it's a really funny scene. I really like it. And they actually had to shoot it a couple of times because they ended up breaking character so much because they had so much fun, like doing it. Yeah. Yeah, you could tell they were on like the verge of laughter, um, you know, really hamming it up and trying to get the other one to to break out of character. So, yeah, they do that performance and then they need to get out of there. Right. The police are like, hey, you guys, you're stalling. Get back here. Uh, but now they get out of the window. Uh, they get into a taxi and they make it to the train because Bob's like, oh, we have tickets for this train. Uh, but, you know, Danny Kay, Phil, he says, uh, I think I misplaced those tickets. And by misplaced, I mean, I gave them to the uh, sisters back there. So they get on the train. They go up into the dining cart. Uh, they're sitting there. They're on the train to Vermont, uh, which from Florida, I mean, is like a, I don't know, like a 150 hour train ride or something. Not really that long, pretty long, uh, but they're there. Um, and then finally, the uh, sisters come in and meet up with them. They're like, thank you so much for these tickets. It's so nice of you. And Bob is like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was nice of us, wasn't it? Yeah. Bob's like, you wouldn't do this to an old pal. You wouldn't do this where like you gave them our beds. You wouldn't have done that. Right. And Phil's like, I don't know what you mean. And so then, but when the ladies show up and, you know, they start ordering a couple sandwiches and some malt, I guess, uh, Judy is really into malts. So she's drinking this white concoction maybe it was a white christmas Could um, have been, yeah they they start talking about how they can't wait to do the snow and the haynes sisters are going up to vermont because they've got uh they're spending this christmas season at this pine tree columbia inn and it wouldn't it be so great if the boys came and you can see that bob and betty have a express mutual attraction but they're they're kind of playing it off and mm-hmm. they have this really amazing song about snow and how they can't wait 
to do all the things that you get to do in snow. But when they get there, it's like 90 degrees. Yeah, that's There's right. No yeah. Snow. Yeah, I think they say it's what it's like 60 degrees or 70 degrees or something. They they get yeah. off the train. There's no snow anywhere in sight. Uh, Bob thinks it's hilarious that they went all this way for no snow. They're going to get out of there, he says. Uh, but they need to go check into the inn first. So, yeah, so they're going to the Columbia Inn. It's in Pine Tree, Vermont. Uh, and they get in. They're checking in. Say, no snow. There's no snow forecasted. So uh, we can't pay the Waverly Sisters to come and do this performance because we're not going to have any guests. No one goes to Vermont in the winter unless there's some skiing and things like that. Uh, but they find out in this uh, transaction here at the front desk, the the inn, the Columbia Inn, has a new owner since after the war, Michaela. And it is none other than General Waverly. That's right. And so General Waverly, they find out that he's basically dumped his entire life savings into this inn uh, in the hopes of making it an amazing ski resort. And Mm -hmm. there's no snow, so no one is coming to ski. And it's really bringing the general down. One of the things that I thought was really beautiful about this, this whole showcase of relationships was that both Phil and Bob felt a great deal of obligation and gratefulness to this general, because unlike a lot of other generals, he put the troops first always. And Mm -hmm. he was hard and he was tough, but he also was a really great person. And so, and you can see that when they're the Haynes sisters are trying to back out of the deal and say, Hey, look, you can just pay us the half salary. Um, you don't, you don't have to pay us the whole thing because there's no snow. He's like, mm-hmm. absolutely not. You're going to perform every night for me or I'll sue. And then he gives him a little wink. You know, he's not going to put anybody out, but yep. it's really having some financial trouble for him. And so, you know, Bill and Phil and Bob decide to kind of put their show uh into the inn, right? And bring out this show Mm -hmm. up from New York City. So they were going to play in New York and now they're moving everything up. They're going to pay, you know, they're talking about how they're they're in a position to outlay all this cash to make it happen. And so there's this really Mm -hmm. amazing montage, right? Of getting all the sets together and all the rehearsals. It's really cool. There's a lot of different types of, of shows that they're like songs that they're putting together, which is really neat. Yeah, it, it feels very authentic, like that's what it would have really been like had they been doing that and moving all these sets and all these actors and, you know, giant uh, cases full of uh, wardrobe and stuff like that. So that's really cool. Uh, we also get to meet Emma. Uh, she's like the receptionist slash like housekeeper uh, for the inn. Uh, she's played by Mary Wicks, who's like this kind of like a uh, performance actress. She's uh, super hilarious and amazing. Uh, she's really funny. Uh, eavesdropping on all the calls gets her into some trouble uh, but yeah Emma is really cool and yeah bringing the show up from New York and so basically kind of this second like third of the film is basically just going through rehearsals for this because uh, this is a musical and they need to get these musical numbers in so what better way to do it is they'll have a little bit of a scene and then uh, you know do some musical rehearsal and then you'll get like the song and dance number uh, from our actors here uh, which is a pretty cool way to tell a musical story I think so Absolutely. And it's really neat because you've got a couple of different um, songs, right? So there's one that's dedicated to the theater and choreography. And then there's one dedicated to like this old kind of vaudeville um, minstrel show, you know, uh, 
kind of number. And mm-hmm. the idea is that they couldn't get all of the actors and singers and dancers from New York. So they're filling in with the Haynes sisters. So the Haynes sisters feel good because they're earning their keep. Um, everybody starts to feel you know better about this whole situation, right? But mm-hmm. uh, inner inner interspersed with these musical numbers we're seeing that Betty and Bob are kind of getting closer and closer they're doing a lot of singing together they're doing a lot of piano work together and late one night Betty can't sleep so she goes into kind of the lobby area where there's a big fire don't know what the fire is doing there without a person looking at it because it's a fire hazard but whatever um they decide that that she decides she's going to have some milk and uh, or buttermilk and liverwurst which sounds horrible and disgusting but apparently in the Sounds 40s great. it's fine and it was a great thing doesn't sound good to you okay great <laughs> yeah. uh, so what they really should be doing is having more white christmas cocktails but uh mm. she sees bob there they talk about what they want to you know he's kind of flirting with her says what do you want to dream about tonight i you know whatever you eat is going to have an effect on what you're dreaming about they end up singing the oscar nominated song yeah that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah dream, don't don't dream. But yeah, count your count your blessings instead of sheep. Yeah, they're singing that. Um, I will say the inside of this inn is awesome. They have like this crazy like fireplace and it's just like built into the floor. Uh, it's uh, super, super cool. But yeah, you're getting like these scenes of them falling, you know, falling in love, you know, a uh, fast little love affair going on. And yeah, the song and dance numbers are awesome because Vera Ellen, uh, she's doing all this crazy dancing. She's wearing like super crazy, awesome outfits. She's like has a silver outfit. She's he has this pink outfit that's super cool um yeah it just it just looks awesome and it's very like classic hollywood and this musical thing and that's all fine and good but you know what's not good is they still don't have any guests at the end uh so what are we going to yeah. do uh you know bob has the idea maybe we should just get the old army company to come up they can come to the end they can see the show that'll be good if they'll bring some money uh we'll help out the uh general that'll be great uh but the best way to tell these guys that they need to come to the inn is on this talk show that one of the other you know brothers in arms is doing now down in new york uh you know because most of those guys watch that show that's the best way to uh to get them up there yeah i guess it's kind of like the way the ed sullivan show was where everybody watched it on like a friday night um mm-hmm. so you know they had a couple of things going on so so Bob has Emma try and place a call into this show to talk to mm-hmm. his old army buddy to say, hey, look, I'm going to come up. I'm going to sing a song uh, on Friday live. And then I'm going to make a plea for all these guys uh, to come to Vermont and pay homage and have kind of a 10 year anniversary party for the 150th company uh, and pay homage to General Waverly. And of course, on this call, his friend, who's also in the show business, right? He says, hey, you know, this is a lot of free publicity. Are you sure you don't want to take any money for this or charge something? And he says, absolutely not. I don't want to do that. That's not That's not why I'm doing this. I'm not going to make any money off of this. Um, but Emma is like all good housekeepers, I guess, listening on the other end. And she only hears the first part. So she only hears that Wallace and Davis are going to be doing this bit for attention to get everybody to come to the inn. They don't know that there's not really an angle attached to this. So Mm -hmm. Emma is really upset about it. She mentions it to Betty. And if you'll remember, Betty already has this chip on her shoulder about the idea that everyone plays angles and she doesn't want to do do business Mm -hmm. that way. And that's not how she wants to conduct herself. So she gets real pissed and (laughs) doesn't not get pissed because she won't ask Bob about it. Bob and her have this kind of talk where he's 
re trying to replay this uh, lullaby that they were singing about how they couldn't sleep and mm-hmm. and adding that into the show. She's not explaining why she's so pissed, but she's like, I don't want to do the show now. I don't want to sing the song. And he's like, I, I, I'm very confused. Is it because yeah. we kissed last night? Are you upset that you thought no. that maybe you shouldn't have kissed me? Do you feel guilty about that? And she's like, I don't feel guilty at all. I'm just mad and I don't want to do it. And that's all I have to say. And then she walks off and he's yeah. like, okay, I'm very confused. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> what we have here is a failure to communicate. So Betty's not asking any questions. Now, uh, Judy, her sister, she thinks that Betty is mad because, you know, she, you know, she's getting closer to Bob and, you know, she doesn't want to break up the, the act, right? She thinks maybe that's why Betty is giving her the cold shoulder because she thinks that Judy's going to get mad at her. At least that's what Judy thinks. So Judy has this great idea. She's uh, going to start making moves on Phil. You know, Danny Kay going to going to put the moves on him and, you know, tell him what we need to do is we need to get engaged because that way Betty will know that it's OK if she gets engaged, uh, which sounds like a terrible idea. This is a horrible plan. Um, again, no one is talking to each other. This could have been resolved in like a half of a second. Uh, but but no. So the engagement is on. So they're at like the cast party. It's like the like the pre like opening night like party. Everyone's there. Everyone's drinking, singing songs. There's like pianos being played. Cigars are being smoked. Uh, everyone's having a great time except for Betty. Betty's still pissed. And uh, she's even more so when her sister uh, and Phil stand up and say that they're engaged, uh, you know, because she has to go over and congratulate them. Bob goes over and congratulates them, but Betty's still not having it. Still doesn't want to talk to Bob. Yeah. And Bob even goes over, they tell him, they like, look, you need to go, you know, give her a, give her a glass of, you know, champagne. And he's like, I don't know. I think this is a bad idea. They're like, no, 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 she'll be fine. She'll be much better now. It'll be fine. And he tries and she just looks at him and then walks off. Like, like not the way to communicate. Okay. People It no. again, again, the one lesson that this movie shows uh, is to talk to someone when you're pissed. So tell them why you're pissed because they might explain that you were wrong all along. Anyway, so she ends up, Betty ends up leaving the next day. She gets on the train. General Waverly can see that they're clearly, you know, falling in love with each other, but that she's upset about something. He mm-hmm. won't, she won't tell him why, because she doesn't want to hurt his feelings because his pride has been poured into this place and he does not want him to think badly of bill or bob so she just leaves she makes sure that general waverly gives her sister a letter her sister gets the letter and then they realize that their plan has completely backfired (laughs) and so then they have to go to bob and tell bob hey betty's gone we don't know how we're gonna do the show now and uh, maybe you can go and explain to her that this isn't true, that she's wrong, that there's something. And yeah, Bob, yeah. I love it. He's like, man, I'd beat the crap out of both of you if I could. He's like, I, you both deserve to be like horse whipped or something. He's like, I don't understand why, why you guys just can't talk to each other. This is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. That's, okay. And that seems pretty hilarious. Cause yeah, he's telling Phil how terrible he is. He's like, all right, what I need you to do is to not let general watch the show. Cause I'm going to go down to New York. I'm going to go, go talk to Betty. Um, and I'm going to be on the show, but you have to let the, make sure the general doesn't see the show. He doesn't want him to see that he's asking all the guys to come up. Um, and he, and he's telling him all the way. He's like, uh, you've been pretty useless so far. Could you, you know, get like, get like your broken arm and try to like keep him out of there, out of watching the TV, uh, which is pretty great. 
So yeah. yeah, he goes down to New York because Betty is now going to be performing at the Carousel Club. Uh, she's going to be a one-woman act, I guess, because she's left the uh, the sister duo. She's left Vermont, headed down there. Um, so she's there uh, doing her bit at the Carousel Club. Uh, fun fact, George Kiris from West Side Story is one of the backup dancers here in this scene. So you can keep an eye out for him. Uh, he looks super young because this was like seven years, I think, before West Side Story. So, uh, you know, keep your eyes open for that. Yep. And Bob gets there. And guess what? Betty still won't talk to him because Betty, I guess she holds a grudge like none other. Rosemary Clooney. Don't get on her bad side. <laughs> she can't even. Yeah, man. She can't even like give him the benefit of the doubt of like letting him speak. Yeah. They even like sit there at the table and they talk and she's still mad at him. So <laughs> yeah, it's whatever. Rosemary Clooney in this character, she does a really good job of being angry for a very long time, but, yes. uh, but Betty, yes, I don't, I don't, I don't get the character. I don't get it at all. So she ends up uh, going backstage to watch this show that is being like this Ed Sullivan esque show. Right. And of yeah, course, that's right. You know, I love the scene where the general is back, back in Vermont, back home at the bank, at the ranch in Vermont. Um, he's about to watch the show too. And, you know, Phil, he's going to not screw this part up. He's messed up big time. He is going to do what he, I mean, he might cut his own arm off in order to be able to, to uh, have the general miss the Ed Harrison show because he needs to. So that's right. Yeah. It's so hilarious because everybody's now is in on it. So Emma is like, Oh my gosh, it's so horrible. He's falling down the stairs. The general comes over <laughs> and he's trying to like figure it out, but he won't let him touch his leg because he knows that, you know, he'll notice that it's his leg is actually fine. And he's like, no, 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 we just need to go to the car. No, maybe we don't need to go to the car. I'm sure it's nothing. I'm sure it's like just, a small, just walk me around the property. Yeah. Just walk <laughs> me around the property a couple of times for three hours or so and we'll be fine anyway so poor general he does miss the ed harris show which is good because bob goes on it sings a, a song about how uh what happens to a general when he's no longer a general it's actually really sweet and then makes a plea out for all of the people all of the men who are in the 151st division to come to you know the columbia inn pay homage on Christmas Eve. We're going to have a big party. We're going to have a big show. Mm -hmm. And it's, if you can get there, it's not going to cost you anything. I, you know, we're not going to, we're not earning anything from this. And he says that on the Ed Harris show, which is great because Betty finally sees that yeah. she was wrong for the That's last 36 hours of her pissed offness. <laughs> that is some egg on your face, isn't it, Betty? Yeah. So she's finally come to come to realize, you know, that this was this was just all a mistake. I could have saved myself a train ticket. I could have saved myself all of this heartache. But yeah, she realizes that, you know, Bob wasn't doing this for his own gain, right? He wasn't really playing at an angle. Uh, you know, just a failure to communicate, uh, as we mentioned. So all of the all of the uh, army guys, they all show up at the end. Uh, it's pretty awesome. They're like backstage, getting ready, getting dressed, getting their uniforms on. Some of them, you know, fits better than others. Uh, ben Crosby's uh, still looks pretty good on him, I have to say. Uh, they get there and they... Uh, it's. <laughs> Really neat. So they're like setting up. So the general is and his granddaughter and Emma, the receptionist are there. And Emma is like taking like his two suits, both to the cleaners. And he's like, why did you take both my suits? I only have two suits. And uh, I guess you're just going to have to wear uh, your uh, your officer's outfit there, general, if you want to go down because you can't go down in your pajamas and you don't want to miss the show. So right. that's true. And I love that scene because his granddaughter's there 
and she's in like this really pretty kind of pink pastel dress and he comes down and she's like grandpa you look dashing and he's like oh well I wasn't going to be in my bathrobe and um but they open the doors to have him go and just sit down and take his seat and as soon as he walks in all of the men come straight up to attention and they all start clapping for him and uh, singing a song, which is the song that they sang at the very beginning of the film when they talk mm-hmm. about the general. And it's actually super beautiful. I get teary eyed every time I see it because the gentleman who plays uh, General Waverly, I think his name is Dean Yeager. He is amazing. His eyes get really glassy, but he doesn't cry. He's mm-hmm. got this uh, beautiful way of portraying very deep emotions for a man who's supposed to be like, you know, the 1944 version of a man's man, right? Which is like mm-hmm. stiff upper sure. lip kind of person. Super good. Um, and then we immediately go into the show, which has all sorts of uh, kind of funny bits and singing bits. And they do um, more of the minstrel stuff again. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really awesome. Now, the great thing about this is that Betty has finally decided that she's not pissed anymore um and so she has traveled uh secretly to the backstage to help with the show and no one has told bob that she's there because apparently now she wants to surprise bob and tell him that she loves him uh after all and she's not mad anymore so that's great so bob and phil are like out on the stage right and she comes out and it it really does look like bob had no idea she was going to be there (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's right yeah she totally comes out and surprises him um they do their they do their number uh it's like the like the army song that they do together the four of them uh which is pretty cool and then uh you know about that time it finally starts to snow uh so that white christmas everyone's been dreaming of it's about to happen and how do you end the show but it's with white christmas bing crosby and company singing uh i'm dreaming of a white christmas and it's uh pretty awesome they like slide the barn doors open behind them and you just see the outside and it's snowing uh back there which looks super cool um which they probably actually did on set somehow um and it looks amazing and what a better way to end white christmas but by having a white christmas uh everyone's happy everyone is together with the one that they love the general uh his inn is saved i guess perhaps which is great and that ends that ends the film uh that's how it ends so uh everyone couples off and it's a good time so michaela white christmas uh this this is an an oldie but a goodie as they say so tell me about the first time you saw white christmas if you can recall i don't know if i can recall the first time i watched white christmas but i have a great story about my son's first time watching white christmas so um, so my son's first Christmas, he was about nine months old, so he wasn't old enough to walk yet. Um, but I remember watching, putting this on, uh, as I was doing something and I noticed that my son sat and was completely still and in total awe of the first like 20 minutes of the show. And so I knew that I had really liked this. My mom loved old Christmas movies. So mm-hmm. we would watch this together um, a lot when I was younger, but now it's really a tradition because my son still loves white Christmas. Um, it's one of my favorite Christmas movies. My favorite probably will always be Danny Kay and Vera Ellen. I think that they're dancing and the way that they play off each other in the script is just really beautiful. They've got a lot of great connection 
And it's just the stuff of magic. I just love their, their dancing together. So it's something mm-hmm. we watch every year for sure. Um, what about you? How do you, is this a family favorite for you guys? Yeah. So we watch this like almost every year, kind of, kind of growing up when I was a youngster, um, as a kid, I never really liked it, but it's one of my mom's favorite Christmas movies. So it was, uh, you know, she got her turn at, uh, picking the movie for uh, Christmas time. So, uh, we'd watch it. Um, and yeah, I didn't really appreciate it enough as a kid, but yeah, watching it, you know, as I've, as I've grown up, there is so much good stuff going on in this. Um, I mentioned a couple of times the set, the sets are super cool. Um, cause you, you can tell that they're definitely like sets on a soundstage, but, uh, it, it just looks really cool that they were able to do that. Like, it looks very much like if you went to see like a Broadway musical, like they would just like wheel out the set and do the scene. Um, so it looks a lot like that, which I think is really cool. Um, and yeah, you mentioned Danny Kay and Vera Ellen. Um, probably my favorite part of it is Danny Kay and Bing Crosby and their interaction because Bing Crosby is like, so like super like dry <laughs> and like, um, I don't want to say humorless, but yeah, he's, he's like super dry. Um, and you know, Danny Kay is just kind of, you know, more, uh, flamboyant and energetic and just the way that they play off of each other, I think is really great. Um, so I like Mm -hmm. that aspect of it. Um, the music's great. Of course, um, our cocktail that we just had was great. Um, yeah, this is a really good movie. So, uh, definitely check it out. If you're looking for some classic, like Hollywood, uh, rep, you know, to throw into your Christmas movie watching repertoire uh, each year, you could do a lot worse than this one. So uh, if you're listening at home, why don't you let us know what you think about White Christmas? If you like White Christmas, the song, if you like White Christmas, the movie, let us know that. Uh, Let us know if you watch it every year, when you watch it first, we want to, we want to hear all that stuff. And if you make yourself a White Christmas cocktail to have with it, we definitely want to know that. We definitely want to see pictures of it because it's beautiful. We want to see how much white chocolate you put on top of it. um, Because if uh, you're going to have to use a lot, if you want to beat Michaela um, at that game, but let us know. So send us pictures. If you want to see pictures of ours, you can do that on our website, which is www.drinkthemovies.com. And if you want to share pictures of yours with us, you can do that on our social media, which is uh, at drink the movies on Instagram and Twitter and facebook.com slash drink the movies. Um, and then, you know, after you've had one or two of those, make sure you get subscribed to the podcast. Where should they be doing that, Michaela? Y'all can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere where Anchor Podcasts are distributed. We do drops uh, two times a week. Uh, We have a lobby bar and we have our regular long format show. Both are amazing, so you should subscribe. And if you're liking what you're hearing, give us a five-star review because it really helps us get the Drink the Movie stuff out there. Yeah, absolutely. It does. And thank you to anyone who takes the time to do that, especially in this busy time of year. But Never fret, we are not too busy to be visited by three more specters of Christmas, past, present, and future next week. So uh, you have that to look forward to. little spoiler warning there. But, Michaela, if we are going to dive into one of the all-time classic Christmas tales next week, we need to have a couple more white Christmases, you know, to get in the mindset because, you know, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and I'm dreaming of this cocktail. It's definitely dream-worthy. Well, we will see everybody next time on Drink Drink the the Movies.